Kings chapter 17. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen, I am too, and uh, I'm super excited to share this message with you today. I believe it's going to be a very helpful one. Many of you know we're in a study right now that we're calling It's Not Over, and we're confronting those times in life where we enter into a season of stress or difficulty. The, uh, the thought comes to our mind, this is it, this is the, the dead end in my life, I go no further from here, and it, it can be overwhelming. And we started this study really on Easter weekend. And we learned that because Jesus Christ conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, he rose again three days after he was crucified, that, that he taught us that there will be times where it looks like it's over, but God really wants to do a new beginning in your life. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. But he wasn't talking about all the work he wanted to do. He was speaking specifically of his work on the cross. And so if Jesus is alive and we believe he is, it means he still has a great work to do in each of our lives. Our study really began from there as we looked to the life of a man by the name of Lazarus and his family. And we learned that Lazarus had died and his family said, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's over now as far as that chapter of our lives is concerned. And what they learned is that Jesus not only could bring himself back to life, but he brought Lazarus back to life. And there were some incredible lessons in there for us. As we continued last week, we met a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman had a health issue in his life. He got a bad report from the doctor. And his first response, his first reaction was to say, that's it, it's over. This is the end of the road. And what he learned is we have a God who can, who can heal physically at times. And, and yet that wasn't even the real problem in his life. God allowed a physical trial to help him see a need spiritually that he had. And we have a great God who can do all of that. And today we're going to learn from a mom. A mom who came to a moment in her life where she thought, this is it, it's the end of the road, it's over for me. And she enters into our study, as we're going to see, with little faith. At the end of this study, she has great faith. And, and this mom that we're going to study today, to me, is a great example of the fact, man, we've got to grow throughout our lives. What a shame it would be to continue in life year after year after year and being essentially the same. There ought to be things that are added to our lives all of the time. And so she was a fantastic example in that she grew. And to get us started, we're going to read her story today and do our best to understand who she was and the situation through which she was going. This story we're going to read today is her story. But here's what I want all of us to understand as we read it together. If we'll listen intently, I think we'll find that her story intersects our story at some point. I think we'll find that there are parallels and that God preserved this mom's story so that when we study it, we can say, you know, I can learn from her there. I'm kind of like that over there. And we all can be helped. And so uh, I'm grateful to get in this passage with you today. If you're able to join me in standing as we read the text, I'll invite you to do so now. And uh, we're going to read through this. 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. 1 Kings 17 and verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him. Now I'm going to read on, but the hymn there is, is Elijah, the prophet of God. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. He arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. 
And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, she was saying in the end of verse 12, times are tough. I look to the future and see nothing. She was saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. It's, it's over. This is the end of the road. Verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee uh, and, thy, and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. I want you to go back to verse 13, if you would, and take note of the, really the first words of instruction and encouragement that Elijah gave to this, this mom. The Bible says, and Elijah said unto her, and here are the two words of encouragement, fear not, fear not. I want us to think on this passage together today. Our Father, we're just so grateful to be in this place. This is a meaningful day for so many reasons. And so we're grateful for moms and the influence they bring to our lives and to our society in general. And yet, God, we come now to the Word of God because we know that we need to hear from you so that we can grow. May this be a time of encouragement. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Not all names are a good fit. But the name that was given to the town in which this lady lived was a perfect name for that place. The Bible tells us she lived in a town called Zarephath. And the word Zarephath has a, has a specific meaning. It means a refiner's fire. Or listen to this. That town means a fiery trial. That was the name of the place in, in which she lived. And so we have to understand that like this woman, we're all going to visit the city of fiery trials in the course of our lives. We're all going to have times where we, we feel like I'm right in the middle of the furnace of pressure right now. And we need to be ready for that. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 said this. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. The Bible tells us that it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust and it really matters not if you're a really nice person or maybe not so nice. The fact is we're all going to go through seasons in life that the Bible would call fiery trials. This lady lived in a town called fiery trial. How many of you have ever visited the town of fiery trials in the course of your life before? Yes. How many of you have ever felt like I live in the fiery trials? Okay. This woman literally lived in the midst of these fiery trials. Now, we don't get her name, but the Bible begins to roll out information about the life of this lady, and we're immediately told that she was a widow. I have no doubt that that loss was incredibly difficult for her, and she would have suffered and grieved in many ways in that time. But we learn more about her when we discover that she was left to fend for herself and for her son. Now, at this time in world history, there was no social security, there were no life insurance payouts, there was uh, no, no uh, general relief checks that she would receive on a regular basis to help her. 
In fact, the safety net in society at this time was the family. In fact, it was not uncommon. If you were a woman and your husband died, you would just then marry your husband's brother. Quick question, totally off topic. How many of you, if you knew there was a chance you'd have to marry your spouse's sibling, you would have rethought the whole thing? Any of you like that today? It's another message for another time. But uh, this woman had no one. The Bible makes it clear she's totally all alone in her life. No family for her. She was alone with her son. And in addition to living in a place called Fiery Trial or Refiner's Fire, they were living in the midst of an incredible drought. There were no crops in the fields. People were suffering. Unbeknownst to her, God sent his prophet Elijah and He told Elijah to go from where he was into this land of Zidon to specifically this town of Zarephath. And and God told Elijah there would be a widow there who would care for you. Elijah made the 100 mile or so journey from where he was at that time to where this woman was. And and all Elijah knew is that God said there will be a widow woman in that place who will care for you. And I can't get in the mind of Elijah and imagine all he thought, but I would imagine he would have thought something like this. Wow. If God's going to use a woman to take care of me, a a widow woman no less, she must be loaded. She must have tons of money. She must be super rich. Why would God send me to someone in in a position in, in our culture like that if she didn't have mega resources to bless me and meet my needs? So the Bible tells us he comes to the gate of the city Immediately he asked her for water and that would not have been out of the ordinary I know hospitality is becoming more and more foreign in our culture But that was a common thing when you'd come to more of a village setting you'd come to the the gate area And it would have been common to say uh, hey, I'm traveling. I'm just getting here Would you give me something to drink? But as she goes to get the water for Elijah, he asked her for something to eat And that was where in verse 11, uh, Elijah said to her, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. Well, her response lets us understand her condition a little bit more. She's a widow. She's a single mom. She's living in a tough place at an exceedingly tough time. And in verse 12, we get more insight. The Bible gives us her response. She said, as the Lord thy God liveth. Elijah, as, as the Lord your God liveth. I have not a cake but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Get the picture. She has almost nothing, nothing. The cake she hoped to make was going to be so small that two sticks would provide enough of a fire to cook it. She was literally preparing her final meal for her, for her son. She concluded It's over. It's over. Now, I'm not sure I could have done what Elijah did, but God led Elijah to speak into her life. And and he told her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Now, remember, when, when she talked to Elijah before, she said, Elijah, as the Lord, thy God liveth. She was saying, Elijah, your God's not my God. I, I'm not a person of faith as you are. I don't believe in God the way you do. And she was living in Zarephath in the region of Zidon. And the Zidonese people were, by definition, pagan people. 
And if she were like the others in that region, she would have worshipped the false god of Baal. She wouldn't have had an understanding as Elijah did in the greatness and goodness of the God that we worship, the God of the Bible. But, but Elijah, as he showed that he had faith in God, listen, he was sharing his faith in God. He said, I want to ask you to do something, and it's what God is asking me to ask of you, and I'm asking you to have just enough faith to do what I've said. In fact, in verse 14, he said, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And what happened next was remarkable. This lady was at the end of her rope, extended just enough faith in the word of God through the prophet Elijah to do what Elijah said. And in the final two verses of our text, we read this again. The Bible says, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. She went from believing it is over. To saying, you know what? I just made a meal. I have enough for one more day. The next day she said, I have enough for one more day. The next day she said, there's enough in there for one more day. Many theologians who study the timeline of Elijah's life have kind of pinpointed and honed in on how long was Elijah with this woman. And most have agreed this was a two-year span of time where every day it looked as though it was going to be over. But she learned by faith that she could trust in the provision of God. And she said, I've got enough for one more day and another day. And God took care of her and Elijah and her son. She was miraculously spared by the grace of God, but it was her faith in the promise of God that enabled her to access that supernatural provision. Now, there are some powerful and applicable lessons that we can learn from this incredible, incredible mom. She became a role model in so many ways. And so if you have your uh, booklets out, you can write down some of these notes. I believe they'll encourage your heart. Here's the first lesson we learned from her. When you can't see the end, it doesn't mean it is the end. When you can't see the end, it doesn't mean it is the end. So this woman, she assesses her situation and she comes to a conclusion. She said, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may die. She said, as far as I can see into the future, all I see are, are problems and lack and want. And, and uh, she concluded, because I can't see the end... This must be the end. Now, the information she had was correct. It was not incorrect. It was just incomplete. She failed to take into account the reality that none of us really know what tomorrow holds. And sometimes when we get down and discouraged in this broken world in which we're living, we'll, we'll kind of uh, do a mathematical equation. We'll look to all the bad things. And quite often when we get to thinking this way, that's all we look to are the bad things. We, we just say, that's it. This is the end of the road. It's never going to be the same. This is the end. And, and uh, this woman had to learn, no, there's more going on than you will understand. She didn't know what was coming next. And, and Solomon teaches us the same thing. In Proverbs 27 and verse 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Boast not about tomorrow. 
He said, listen, don't get too arrogant about what it is that's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know. And it's not stretching the text at all to say we can take from the words of Jesus in the New Testament. He could have very easily used this same verse, but said, fret not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible's making the point that we're never going to have keen insight into everything that, that the future holds. Over uh, Christmas, after Christmas, uh, Lisa and I went to visit family in Colorado. That's where uh, most of my family's from. And uh, we, we drove out there and we were going to stay in a, our family's cabin. Uh, a lot of you guys have been there with me over the years. And uh, j just a simple cabin on a farm. And it's out in the boonies, you know. And uh, so what you do is you take a freeway to a highway to a byway to a road. You, uh, you, you get on a paved road and then you go to, they call it chip seal. And that leads you to a gravel road, which leads you to a dirt road. You tracking with me? Okay. And uh, from the dirt road, I mean, it's just a trail. Just, just a, a couple marks where your tires are supposed to go. And uh, so here we are and we're driving into this cabin at night. And it was dark. And it was cloudy. And when you get away from all the lights of the city, you guys are all going to know what I'm talking about, it takes dark to a whole new level. I mean, at night around here, we would say, oh, it's dark outside. It's never that dark. I mean, it's always pretty bright. But you get out in the boonies, and you have clouds to obscure the moon and, and the stars. Uh, the, the pitch blackness was incredible. We could not see a thing. But I could see as far as my headlights would shine. And so I just kind of followed that light. And, and you know what's interesting? I, I, didn't, I didn't stop my truck and say, you know, I can't see beyond the headlights. Therefore, this is the end. I can go no further. I must stop here. This is the end of the road because I can't see beyond the headlights. No, I had to, by faith, say, you know something? It seems like every time I go forward, that light goes incrementally forward with me. And so what I'll do is I'll occupy the light that I have and trust that it will be extended into those areas in the time to come. Now, admittedly, this was an excessively dark time in this lady's life. She was grief-stricken, she was discouraged, she decided it was over, and were it not for the glimmer of hope that came by way of God's word into her life, she would have fulfilled her own negative prophecy. She would have quit prematurely because she thought it was over. You know, it's amazing how many times God's word tells us that we need a better perspective in life. God often says in his word, often says in his word, we need to change what we're focusing on and what we're looking at. For example, to his followers, Jesus said in John 4, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He was speaking of the fact that ministry opportunities to share our faith are all around us. But, but Jesus said, listen, you're going to miss him. If your heads are down and all you're doing are, uh, is looking at the problems and the difficulties and the adversities and the heartaches, he's not denying those exist. But he said, what needs to happen, why don't you lift up your eyes and look on these opportunities I've placed all around you. There's a lot of bad in the world, but the Lord says there are a lot of great opportunities around us as well jesus speaking into the lives of believers in this day in which we're living said in luke 21 and verse 28 look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh anytime i look down if you would and we'll just use that in the sense of being down i focus on the problems but anytime i look up and look to the lord i can enter into a season where all of the equation the math of that would say this is the end i can say but i've got a god and he's a good god and i can't see how it's going to go but just because this looks like the end it doesn't mean that this is the end and i'm today not denying the dark times or making light of the heartaches through which we go in life 
But I am saying that we will miss the glimmer of hope that we need in our time of need if we give up along the way. And some of you today, the message you need is to be told that it's not over. Here's the second thought we learned from this incredible woman. The promise of provision is connected to the power of priority. If you're still with me, say amen. Sometimes you guys listen good, and I can't tell if you're listening good or you've zoned out. But I am excited about this message and this thought. The promise of provision, it's connected to the power of priority. Listen to how Elijah spoke to this woman in verse 13. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. He went on in the next verse to say, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail. I want you to see here the promise of God's provision was connected to the power of priority. Now again, Elijah wasn't being selfish. He kind of can come off like a jerk in this passage if we didn't understand it was God that told him to say all this stuff, you know. And uh, I would guess he was a little bit self-conscious about, yeah, look, I know what you're going through and all, but here's what I want. I want me first me first I I know you're a widow woman I know you've grieved the loss of a husband I know you're a single mom and that brings special difficulty in your life especially in that culture I know you're living in a land known as the fiery trial and I know it's a season of drought I know it looks like this is the end of your life but but Elijah's saying here's what God told me to tell you he wants you to put me first and that statement was a call for her to begin trusting in the word of God so that in time she could come to know the God of the word and friends when it comes to spiritual salvation there is no condition other than simply receiving God's free gift by faith we don't earn it we don't deserve it we don't work for it Paul in Ephesians 2 said it this way for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody can say, I earned my way or worked my way into a relationship with God. I did so many good deeds and so few bad deeds that God said, man, I was awesome, I'm in. Nobody enters into a relationship with God that way. It's only by faith in the grace of God we are taking this gift that Jesus provided for us. But living the Christian life is different. As a loving father, the Lord tells us the path of provision. And we must choose to make his path our priority. In love, God lays out the path, but then we have to make a decision. I'll follow that path that God has laid out. We're saved by faith. And then we must live by faith to know God's direction and provision. For example, in Proverbs 3, the Bible says this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So if we want God's direction, the Bible says we've got to trust him and we've got to acknowledge him and he's going to direct us in the path that is in our best interest. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. But seek ye first. That's what Elijah told the woman. First. 
the Lord says here, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In the context of that passage, all those things deal with just all the things in life we deal with, financial things. Jesus even talked about the need for clothes. and He, he went into all the various needs we have in our lives. And Jesus said, let me tell you how life is supposed to work for a person of faith. Just put me first in your life. Trust me. Follow the path that I've laid out for you. And what you will learn, Jesus says, is that I can take care of you. I can take care of you. You see, the provision is connected to the power of priority. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the preeminent one. I'm number one in your life. God does not condition his love. God does not condition his acceptance. He does not condition forgiveness. But as a father, he does condition his provision, just like every good parent in this room does for your children. You don't reward wayward behavior. And God the Father says, listen, I love you. That'll never change. I accept you as my child. That'll never change. But here's how it's going to work in our relationship. I know the best way for you to go. And as you make me a priority and follow the path I've laid out for you, you're going to find that the provision necessary, it's connected to that power of priority in your life. And then we see this. The supply is found at the end of our stretch. The supply is found at the end of our stretch. I told you a moment ago that Lisa and I went to Colorado over Christmas and we finally did get to where we were going and, and uh, this, this little cabin, we call it a cabin, it's just a small house, but we got there and it's like there's, there's no TV, very little cell signal, uh, you're just away from it all back there, which is wonderful, right, wonderful. And uh, we got back there, and, and uh, Lisa and I, we spent some time with the family, but really, after the holidays, we just wanted a few days to kind of recoup, and, and uh, so we're in this place alone, and, and uh, just kind of enjoying our time, and Lisa and I both uh, enjoy the uh, exercise, we like to do that, and, and uh, yet that, that cabin is, is right in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's, it's at 7,200 feet, for example, you know, Denver's the mile high city, and what's the mile, 5,280 feet, I think, so, I mean, it's higher than that, which means there's not a lot of oxygen. So uh, it makes running really hard, not to mention there's about a foot and a half of snow on the ground, and so we figured we're probably not going to get a whole lot of exercise up here. And, uh, and so Lisa had a really good idea. She thought, I'll share with you now, it was a horrible idea that she had, all right? <laughs> but uh, she had this video, this DVD of these exercises where, you know, you get in these stretches and you hold it for a while and and uh, someone might say it's yoga and someone else would say, I don't know that yo doing yoga is a good thing. I will say this. No one would accuse what I did that day as being yoga. OK. And uh, so she'd get me in these stretches. And I thought this is ridiculous. Now, I I've got to tell you, I've got a lot of things wrong with me. And, and this isn't the worst thing about me that's wrong. But one thing that's wrong with me is I'm very unbendy. I don't stretch very good, okay? Like, I've never been able to touch my toes. I just don't bend that good. And, um, and so, Lisa's trying to get me, you know, I'm doing the falling down house or the backwards dog or all these things. I don't know what they are, you know. But, but, uh, and, and I'm holding them. And you would never think that just stretching would, would uh, give you an exercise at all. I, I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I've got to tell you, I was totally wrecked for two days after that, okay? <laughs> I mean, that gave me pain in places I wasn't even aware I had muscles, you know, I'm just getting all stretched out, and she's like, isn't this great? And, you know, I'm like, no, this is, this is so not great. It's the opposite of, of great. And, uh, friends, I'm saying today this, when a stretch is done the right way, it can limber you up, and it can develop muscles. Having said that, let's look again at verse 16. 
The Bible says, And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Let's get the picture. Each day she'd have to go to a barrel. There was never more than one day's worth. She'd have to stretch. Reach down there and scoop it up. She'd stretch. The next day she would do the same. The next day she would do the same over and over for about two years. She had to stretch to get that supply. Now listen, here's what I know about God. He could have just had a cake sitting on top of her kitchen table every morning. I mean, God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. He literally rained down bread, manna from heaven every day for them. God could have done that. But apparently God had a purpose for her stretching. Apparently God was doing a little limbering up in her spiritual life. A little muscle development in her spiritual life. God could have done uh, any of that. But he was stretching her faith to grow and develop her in that part of her life. She lived in the town of Zarephath, which means, as we've seen, refiner's fire or fiery trial. And God was refining her faith. God was bringing her through a process that would remove the unnecessary and bring to the surface that which would be honoring to him. He was teaching her each day to stretch a little bit further. And the result was she began to grow. We think of Job in the Old Testament as a man who went through so much, but he gained a little perspective in the midst of that time in his life. In Job 23, he said this in verse 10. He said, but he knoweth the way that I take. Listen to what he said. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, when we see that Job used himself in this analogy as gold, he said, God tried me. That's the same idea as the word Zarephath. A fiery trial, a refiner's trial. And I don't know a lot about gold, but I've watched Gold Rush enough to know a little bit about it, okay? And they'll get, they'll get gold, and then they'll, they'll heat it up, and those impurities come to the surface, and they scrape it off. What are they doing? That's the refiner's fire. And Job said, there were some things in my life that apparently weren't going to change any other way than the heat of adversity. And God, in his love for me, he put me uh, into this crucible of pressure, these fiery trials, this refiner's furnace, so that at the end, I could come out like gold, like gold. I have yet to learn to really enjoy my times of fiery trials. But I'll tell you what I have learned. There's always a purpose for them. God is stretching me to mold me into his image. It's a time of growth. Now, how many of you would agree that this was an incredibly tough time for this woman and her son? (laughs) Just imagine. And how many of you would also agree that God has a way of using tough times for an incredible good? I think of the Apostle Paul's words we quote so often in Romans 8 where he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, so many of the times in my life, while I was in the midst of them, I called them bad times, tough times, hard times. And there was a sense they may have been all of those. But so many of those times in my life, in retrospect, as I look back on them, like Job, I can say, you know, I see what God was doing now. He was changing me. He was stretching me. He was teaching me. He was molding me. I'm telling you today that God can use fire to further us. And God can use tests to toughen us. And God can use stretches to supply us. That leads us to the final thought I'll share with you today. To grow, 
we must learn, apply, and repeat. Learn, apply, and repeat. Now, our reading today ended in verse 16. That's where we stopped. But this lady's story did not end in, in verse 16. In fact, we could have read all the way down to verse 24. And I won't read the entire story for sake of time, but it shares that this lady, after all these miraculous things that happened in her life, as we read on, we find that her son died. And she did what people so often do in times like that. She kind of got an attitude towards God and, and even in this case, the man of God. And she was, she was just broken up. She'd been through so much and that was just one more thing. She thought, I can't bear this and her spirit's broken and she's blaming God. To Elijah, she said, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She said, what's going on here? I, th I, thought, I thought you came and brought God's blessing into my life, and now hardship is here. Did you come into my life just to punish me? In an amazing twist in the story, she's holding her dead son in her arms, and, and, and in faith, the little faith that had been developed, she hands him over to Elijah, and Elijah prayed for the boy, and the Bible says the soul of the child came again into him, into him again, and he revived and those tears of grief and anger became tears of joy and gladness. And she's witnessing now the power of God in a way that she hadn't seen to that point. She knew God could put meal in a barrel and oil in a cruise. And, and now she's seeing more of what it is that God can do. And I'm, I'm pointing this, this thought out to you to say this. Friends, we're never a completed project in this lifetime. How sad it would be to come a little ways and stop and create your own dead end and this woman came to understand in the course of life that if you want to grow you have to continue to learn and then you have to continue to apply what it is you've learned and then you got to repeat that process throughout the course of your life tough times dark seasons will continue to come periodically and to grow we must learn and apply and repeat because this is where maturity is developed interesting as she spoke to Elijah in this time through tears of joy she said now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth there's a great salvation application of this but in essence here's what she said Elijah when our story began I spoke of your God as your God he's not my God but man, I was at the end of the road. I didn't know what to do. And I, I thought, it can't hurt anything. I'm going to do what this guy says. And little by little, her faith was developed. Her faith was developed. And in the course of those two years, I'm sure she learned some night she could go to bed without wondering, will there be enough food for tomorrow? I mean, it just happened day after day. She thought, well, apparently God can do this. That's great. That's what I know about God. And, and, and she learned and she applied and, and she was growing. But then she came to another stage in the development of her life and her son dies and, and she thought, well, God can do that, but I don't think he can do this. And again, she saw the power of God at work and, and she says to the prophet of God, now I know. And if you remember last week, that's exactly what Naaman said. There was a time when he did not know. And then he said, now I know. There was a time when she did not know. But she said, now I know. I thought it was over. But it's not over. And friends, when you have a God who can conquer death, we need to learn to come to the place where we say, I understand. With him, it's never over. 
He's free to guide. He's free to direct. He's free to redirect. But with him, it's never over. What's interesting about this woman is the fact that we can all find ourselves in her life at some point. I'm very comfortable and confident to say that everyone in this room is either in a trial or just coming out of a trial or just heading into a trial. And these times in our lives are great opportunities to say, God, I don't know what it is you're doing. I, I can't really see where this is going. But I know just because I can't see the end, it doesn't mean it is the end. And God, I know that this season I'm heading into, it's going to require me to stretch. But God, I've learned, and I need to continue to learn, but I've learned that when I stretch in faith, that's where I find your supply. And then we've got to understand, we never do arrive in this life. We've got to continue to learn, apply what we learn, obey, and then we've got to repeat that process in the course of our lives. Our Father, we're thankful for the example of this incredible woman this loving mom. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today not to look at this simply as an historical accounting of a woman that endured so much and overcame, but Lord, I pray that as we look through this biblical narrative that we'd all see ourselves in one way or another. God, open our hearts. Help us to receive from you through your word. Just as this woman received through the word of Elijah, she was in reality receiving the word of God. And I pray that today it would be your word that speaks to our hearts, that brings comfort, that brings that renewed perspective, that brings hope, that brings assurance, that brings a calm. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now who feels as though they are living in a, in a city that could be called the refiner's fire or the fiery trial. God, bless them greatly and help them. For those coming out of a trial, we pray that they'd bring those lessons with them and give them a time of reprieve to re-strengthen. And we pray for those heading into a trial today, God, open their hearts and help them to take the lesson from this with them as they go. God, I pray that on this Mother's Day, the testimony of this mom would make an impact in our hearts. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed this morning. Our eyes are still closed in a spirit of prayer. I wonder how many of you today would say, you know, pastor, as you worked your way through that passage of Scripture, I think there's something in there that could probably help me today. There was a truth, a statement, a verse. There was something in that sermon today that I think was good for me to hear. Are there those like that this morning by the testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, there was something in that study for me today. That's great. Thank you so much. You may put your hands down. That's great. Here's the beauty of all these hands that were raised. No one really knows what prompted your hand to go up but you. And in your heart, I want you to hold on to what it is that you felt was a value for you today. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I want you to talk to God about that. What, whatever it is that prompted that hand to go up, you were thinking or referencing in your, in your life, an area, a need. Ask God to work in that way. Now, this lady went from a time where she talked to Elijah and said, your God's your God. He's not my God. And by the end of, of this passage of Scripture, she says, now I know. She went from not knowing God to knowing God. And, and maybe you're here today and when